Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Need cash but don't want to sell your crypto? Use Nexo's instant crypto credit lines and withdraw funds today, starting from only 5.9% APR. Create an account at nexo.io. T-Quorum is a weekly virtual series about all things Tezos. Every Wednesday, tune in for presentations about the latest advancements that help the ecosystem grow together. Learn more at tquorum.com. Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest is Jeff Roberts, senior reporter at Fortune and author of Kings of Crypto, one startup's quest to take cryptocurrency out of Silicon Valley and onto Wall Street. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Big news coming out of Reuters this week. Coinbase is exploring going public. Tell us more about this news, how firm it is, and how and when they might go public. Yeah, I don't know if this would count as big news because there's a kind of a genre in tech reporting where you say big startup is rumored to go public. Well, of course they are. They all are. That's the point. We all know Coinbase is going public. It's just like writing a thing saying Robinhood is expected to go public maybe this year. You know, I mean, there's 10 companies you could write that headline about. And I mean, you know, I, I don't want to be ungracious, but I thought that story was kind of thin because I don't think there's anything to it. I mean, Coinbase has been rumored to go public this year for a long time, and it's either going to happen late this year or next year. So I'm not really sure what the news is here. Yeah, I guess um, you did mention that uh, when we talked about your book the last time you came on the show. So, I mean, just in terms of uh, what Reuters reported, how firm you know, was what they were reporting in terms of like any SEC registrations or anything more formal like that? Well, I talked to a couple of sources close to the company and initially Reuters was going to try to run with, the, you know, saying that like Morgan Stanley had uh, was going to be the underwriter. And that's clearly not true. Um, and them saying there's a direct listing. I mean, I think that could be possible. But I think the most interesting thing is going to be what sort of IPO is it? Um, the, uh, uh, you know, because I know when I talked to Fred Erston recently, one of the co-founders of Coinbase, he hinted strongly there's going to be some sort of token issuance. So I think it could be America's first combo ICO and IPO, which would be super cool. So that's what I'm waiting to hear about, you know, in terms of whether they're going public. Yeah, of course they are. But I think that part of the story is what's most interesting to me. And so for that, do you have any more details on what that might look like? Would it be kind of... You know, I, I for some reason, I don't get the feeling it's going to be the kind of ICOs that we saw in 2017. But there are these well-known IEOs that have been happening, the initial exchange offerings. Any details on what form they might take? 
No, they're playing their cards close to the vest on that. And I know I think as Coinbase has gotten more corporate, you know, I think there's a sort of a push to let's just have an IPO like everyone does. But I think a lot of the people at the company, including the like coders who work there, are real believers in crypto. And it would be sort of lame if they just did a, you know, garden variety IPO. So but in terms of the regulatory part, that's hard. I mean, are they going to do sell tokens to accredited investors and then, you know, sell general shares to the public? Or can they get the SEC to bless some sort of token issuance, which could happen? Because if you've been watching Coinbase, they've really been spending a lot of energy hiring Washington insiders. You saw they just hired um, Judge Paul Gruel, who's a fairly prominent uh, former federal judge. And then they have their former general counsel, Brian Brooks, went to be the head of the, uh, what's it called? the um, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. Controller. Exactly. Yeah. It's spelled Basically. Comptroller, but pronounced Controller. I learned this. I know. <laughs> I know. We should know this by now. I should know by now. But, um, you know, that's, you know, they oversee all the banks. So you can obviously see them trying to put the political lobbying push on to kind of get a blessing for this. And since they're the most mainstream crypto company, you know, who knows, maybe they will get, um, you know, they will get a blessing to do a token offering. But I'm pretty sure whatever's going on, they're going to hold it really tightly because leaking this stuff is just going to piss off the regulators and could imperil a token listing. So this is just me speculating. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll chicken out and just raise the cash the ordinary way. But I think a lot of us in the crypto community hope they do something more ambitious. So just to go back to what you mentioned earlier about this former ju- former federal judge, Paul Gruel, um, he also held a significant post at Facebook, which is actually where they hired him from. Can you just give us a sense a little bit more about his history and why this is uh, significant and perhaps relevant here in this discussion of whether or not Coinbase will go public? Well, I mean, that's an important position. I mean, I think they're calling him chief legal officer, you know, but he's their general counsel. And, you know, I mean, Coinbase is also presiding, like every crypto company, and kind of a lot of legal messes. I mean, they're getting class actions over the Bitcoin cash thing. You know, there's various SEC investigations, the IRS, and he's got to make all that sort of settle down or even better go away. Um, and I think just his clout as a former federal judge, and he's well known in the Valley. He ruled over like the Apple Samsung trials. He ruled over Google and Oracle. So I think that kind of credibility is got is one going to be good for their legal strategy. But also he's just someone people know in you know the legal world, probably including in the SEC and in Washington. So I think his contacts will probably help grease whatever's going to happen next. And in terms of having their former chief legal officer, Brian Brooks, and the position of the Office of the Control of the Currency. What is the significance of that as well? Like, what what does that department oversee, and how could that be relevant here? Well, they're the ones who issue federal bank charters and say who can be a bank and who can't. And obviously, you know, with things like the um, you know the bit license in New York, very unpopular and sort of fractured regulation and the hostility to crypto. I think having someone like Brooks at the head of that, he could maybe take measures to sweep away a lot of the kind of state impediments and put in a kind of clear federal licensing regime, which I think could really, you know, boost um, the American crypto scene. You know, I don't think it'll ever be at the level of Korea or Switzerland, but get it a bit closer and make it more crypto friendly. And so earlier um, when you discussed 
Coinbase going public, you phrased it as uh, them raising capital. But if Reuters is correct in the notion that perhaps they will just do a direct listing, then they wouldn't actually raise capital, right? So what would the significance of doing it that way be? And how would that affect their investors differently? Well, I mean, I think obviously at this point, there's a lot of early investors who want to cash out. And, you know, a good way to cash out is selling shares to the public. So, you know, I think Spotify did a direct listing. And there's also, I think, an increasing backlog, backlash against Wall Street's, you know, IPO underwriting thing where all the bankers and the lawyers feed off it and then put aside certain shares for their best friends and then sell it to the public. So I think just selling shares directly would let all the insiders kind of get rich and, you know, then, you know, they, the shares would be public. And I think that's an important symbolic step for them. But, you know, I'm still holding out for a token offering of some sort because, you know, if, if they don't do it, who is going to do it? And so, you know, even though, as you mentioned, there is always a lot of talk about different tech companies that will go public at any given point in time, I do think that there is something significant about the idea of the first crypto exchange in the U.S. going public. So in that sense, like, what do you think that would signify? Why would that be a big deal? Well, I mean, you know, I've said before, I think, you know, a lot of people hate Coinbase and a lot of people think it's like, you know, not your keys, not your coins. Crypto purists, you know, dislike it. But the reality is for most Americans who own crypto, that's their first point of call. And for the industry, it's almost Coinbase is too big to fail, I would say. You know, if Coinbase fails, it would be, I think, a decade long setback to the rest of um, the crypto world. And conversely, if they IPO, I mean, that would really mainstream them in a lot of ways. And a lot of people could ride their coattails. And I think it would really legitimize the crypto industry in mainstream finance. So in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the timing of the IPO and uh, kind of the overall market for cryptocurrency. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Looking to connect with thought leaders, innovators, and blockchain enthusiasts? Welcome to T-Quorum, a weekly virtual series about all things Tezos. Each week will feature presentations about the latest advancements that help the ecosystem grow together. Interested in speaking at T-Quorum? Submit your presentation ideas and the Tezos community will vote on who comes to the podium next. Sign up and learn more about the virtual series at tquorum.com. How much in fees are you paying for crypto purchases? Now, Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee when you buy crypto. Apart from crypto purchases, you can also get a great deal on food and grocery shopping with Crypto.com. Get up to 10% back when you pay with their MCO Visa card. No card? Use the Crypto.com app to buy gift cards for up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Back to my conversation with Jeff Roberts. So Coinbase's recent valuation was at $8 billion. In an IPO, where would you guess that their market cap might go? Uh, believe it or not, I would take the over because Coinbase stands out, not just because they're a crypto company, but unlike a lot of unicorns, they are... Um, they've been making a profit, like not every quarter, but by and large, I mean, they've got a pretty solid business. And if you look at like the likes of Uber and um, 
uh, not Airbnb, but WeWork. I mean, these places just bleeding money. They raise more and more money, and you know their 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 losses are staggering. Whereas Coinbase is you know is is a profitable company, which I think is would allow them to you know perhaps overshoot their valuation. I mean, I don't know if that's happened recently. Most IPOs in the last year or two have been kind of flops, but I have more hope for Coinbase than some of the others. And what do you think of that in terms of the overall market right now? Because The Block recently ran a story talking about how metrics for Bitcoin searches, for social media followings of crypto exchanges, for Wikipedia page views of Bitcoin, and also how trading volumes for Bitcoin are all down from their peaks at the end of 2017, early 2018. So how much do you think the frothiness of the overall cryptocurrency market will matter to the Coinbase listing? Or do you think that, you know, Coinbase listing all on its own will create that frothiness? That's a, a great question, especially your last part, maybe that could inaugurate a new kind of Bitcoin, you know, sort of uh, uh, bull market. But I think, you know, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase and their investors, Andreessen Horowitz, they're all playing kind of a long game and seeing it, you know, I think as many as your listeners do as a cyclical thing. You know, we've now, you know, since I covered Bitcoin starting in 2013, I've seen maybe like three crypto winters. And I think we're used to this. You know, there'll be surges of excitement, then things settle down, then it goes up again. But I think you're very right. I mean, if they could time their IPO to coincide with the Bitcoin bull run, like, oh, boy. But, you know, maybe they, you know, this can't be bothered. This is just another kind of house cleaning task they want to do as they keep building stuff. And do you have a sense how well Coinbase has been faring despite the overall interest being down? You talked about their profitability. Is that something that's kept up in this sort of, I guess, bear market or slow market? Um, I can't speak to the last quarter, uh, but I think overall they've been quite profitable. And um, strangely, the pandemic crisis has benefited. I know Robinhood did really well. They're not a crypto company, obviously, but I think crypto, same thing. They had a huge trading volume. And whenever there's volatility, which there was during the height of the COVID crisis, um, you know, companies like Coinbase benefit. My question for Coinbase, though, is where is another revenue stream going to come from? I mean, they've got trickles from custody and you know, other tie-ups here and there. But I mean, I still think they're very dependent on trading. And I think that's a challenge for most of the industry is to try to figure out other lines of business that aren't just kind of hobbies or distractions, but really can bring in the cash. So, you know, that's what I'm waiting to see too. And do you have a sense of how increased competition in the U.S. has affected their uh, trading volume? Because for instance, I remember that when Binance U.S. launched here in the U.S., they either cut their trading fees completely or at least slash them. And meanwhile, at the same time, Coinbase rose, raised theirs. So do you have a sense of whether people are seeking better prices elsewhere? I haven't heard that. I mean, you probably know better than me, but my read on it is, um, you know, Binance, especially since they're not available in every state, hasn't gotten that much traction in the U.S. And I, I guess it depends how sticky they are, how easily do people move from brokerage to brokerage. You know, I think a lot of people are like, you know, yeah, Coinbase charges me, you know, two ninety nine, but is that such a big deal? Um, so, you know, I'd be curious. I'm sure places like The Block and Masari have some good research on that. But my limited understanding is I think uh, a lot of crypto customers are quite sticky. You know, the hardcore traders, of course, are probably jumping around. But I think a lot of your everyday retail investor is not going to you know, jump ship to save like a buck on commission. 
All right. And so I guess to explore the token area a little bit more, when you talked about how that's kind of what you're hoping for and, and looking to, like, do you have a, uh, any particular preferred method for how they do that listing? Um, yeah, that's a bit above my pay grade. But yeah, I'd be curious what blockchain will they use? Will they develop their own? Will they use Ethereum? And I mean, just talking to people who really know this stuff, including Balaji and um, uh, prof- the professor at Cornell, forgive me, I can never say Evan his name. Gunsier. Yes, he uh, predicted down the road, we're going to see every company will be tokenized, like, you know, Nike and General Motors, and that eventually we could see like, uh, you know, Nike and NASDAQ buying the likes of Coinbase and issuing all the stocks as tokens. So, which makes perfect sense because for record keeping and tracking stocks and splitting stocks, blockchain is so much superior to what's being done right now. So, I mean, but that might be five or 10 years off. So that's, uh, you know, that's, I think, where we're going to go to. But in terms of what happens in the next year or two, that's a great question. What the mechanics will be, I don't know. Okay. And I guess, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But maybe Coinbase itself will pioneer some way and perhaps create a new business out of that. Yeah, I sure hope so. I mean, there's pressure internally. I think a lot of the like, you know, long time Coinbase investors and employees, you know, I think would be feel betrayed if they didn't do that. But, you know, we all know what financial realities are. So uh, I'm very curious to see what happens. And when you talked about some of these employees, I know in your book that, you know, there was that period of a lot of tension at Coinbase, especially in 2018. What's your sense of how things are now and whether or not Brian Armstrong has been able to kind of right the ship and get everyone back going in the same direction? Well, I think aside uh, one recent scandal, there's been a lot less drama out of Coinbase, both in terms of like kind of negative headlines and employee turnover and fighting. So I think they are in a stable place. Um, you know, one thing I forgot to mention for the IPO, I can't wait to see what the S1 looks like because that's when you find out who owns how many shares. I mean, I've heard on good authority that Brian Armstrong has got a supermajority. You know, I've heard, uh, you know, Fred, the co-founder, might have about 10%. You know, I'd like to see how much Andreessen has. So that's going to be really interesting. But um, in terms of the management, I think they've done a good job of stabilizing their operations. And there's just a lot less drama out of Coinbase than there used to be, which is a good thing when you want to go public because you might recall what happened to WeWork. You know, you've got this founder who's like smoking weed and, you know, on airplanes and running a cult and look what happened to them. So, Right. And do you have a sense of why it is now that things have been calmer there? You know, I think it's just the adult supervision. You've got like their COO, Emily Choi, who's kind of, you know, you've got basically veteran executives in a startup and a younger company. You've got a bunch of people in their 20s who've never managed something really big before. So I think having veteran executives makes a company more boring, but it makes it more stable. All right. Well, anything else you want to add about the Coinbase news? Uh, no, I just, I'd like to hear more details. I mean, if Reuters has them, I'd like to, you know, see what, what they've really heard. But for now, you know, my take is let's, let's wait and see. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree that, you know, there's a lot, still a lot more to be uncovered. Well, anyway, thank you so so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks, Laura. Always a pleasure. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets. Others seek to maximize the yield on their cash. Nexa allows you to achieve both of these goals. 
The company offers instant crypto credit lines against all major cryptocurrencies, with interest rates starting from only 5.9% APR. Nexo also allows you to earn up to 8% annually on your fiat and digital assets. What's more, interest is paid out daily and you can add or withdraw funds at any time. Get started at Nexo.io. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, Center Blacklist and Ethereum Address Holding USDC. The Center Consortium, jointly run by Circle and Coinbase, has blacklisted an address that holds $100,000 worth of the stablecoin USDC in response to a request from law enforcement. Circle said in a statement, quote, While we cannot comment on the specifics of law enforcement requests, Center complies with binding court orders that have appropriate jurisdiction over the organization. The blacklisted address can no longer receive USDC, nor can any of the USDC in the address be transferred on-chain. The block reports that any that USDC balances in blacklisted addresses may be, quote, wholly and permanently unrecoverable. Next headline. Dozens of crypto companies get $30 million plus from PPP bailout loans. More than 75 crypto and blockchain companies received over $30 million in payroll loans due to the coronavirus. Polychain Capital, Consensus, and CypherTrace, the latter two of which, Disclosure, are previous sponsors of my shows, as well as Tron and Zcash's Electric Coin Company, all obtained funds. For instance, Consensus received between $5 million and $10 million from Signature Bank. Bittrex got between $1 million and $2 million from Celtic Bank. Circle and Shapeshift each was granted between $1 million and $2 million from Silicon Valley Bank. And cybersecurity and blockchain solution firm CryptoBlocks appears to have ob- obtained between $1 million and $5 million. Several others, including IOHK USA, CypherTrace, Polychain, Electric Coin Company, and Blockfolio, each received between $350,000 and $1 million. In a report, the block said development firms accounted for 29% of the firms who got loans, while financial services companies received 25%. Trading platforms came in next at 12%, and 11 of the recipients had executed initial coin offerings that had raked in $341 million. Next headline. Ave brings under-collateralized lending to DeFi and NAB's $4.5 million in seed investment. DeFi lending protocol Aave launched a new service for credit delegation in which a a user can deposit funds, earn a higher interest rate, and lend those funds out to a designated person who has not put down any collateral. In the absence of collateral, the borrower and lender use a legally binding contract, which specifies interest rates and repayment deadlines created by blockchain-based open law. The block reports that if the borrower does not repay the loan, the lender, quote, can take him or her to court as long as they are in the same jurisdiction. Ave had some other news this week. Parify invested $4.5 million into what is currently the third largest DeFi lending protocol. Next headline, the next year in Ethereum. Tyler Smith, a validator for Ethereum 2.0 testnets, wrote up a tweet storm on Ethereum 2.0, saying it will be, quote, the most pivotal event in all of crypto since the launch of ETH 1.0. 
people talk about Bitcoin having events, and he said they are minor league compared to this. He said a lot of institutional money was waiting to see if Ethereum would deliver. However, he did also bring up a number of major concerns, such as how taxes should be handled for what he called ETH 2.0 Ether versus ETH 1.0 Ether, asking the Ethereum Foundation to make an official statement saying that they were the same. Somehow, I don't think the foundation is the final word on that. <laughs> he also noted, quote, an additional tax headache will be accounting for staking gains while the tokens are locked on the beacon chain. In the U.S., mining rewards are taxed as ordinary income, but how are you supposed to pay taxes on Ether you can't sell? Meanwhile, Larry Cermak of The Block noted that Ethereum transaction fees as a percentage of miner revenue have been soaring to 18%, far surpassing Bitcoins, which are at about 4%. Next headline, Trump's former sanctions chief joins Chainalysis board as it raises $13 million in an, ex in an extension. Blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis garnered a $13 million extension to its Series B fundraising, which now totals $49 million. Plus, Chainalysis welcomed a new board member, U.S. President Donald Trump's former Treasury Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Seagal Mandelker. Hopefully I'm not butchering her name. Also participating in this round was actor and investor Ash Ashton Kutcher. Michael Del Castillo of Forbes, who reported the story, noted that Mendelker's move was part of, quote, an increasingly clear trend of influential regulators joining the cryptocurrency companies they once oversaw. Next headline, ARCA launches U.S. Treasury Fund on Ethereum with SEC Blessing. Los Angeles-based money manager ARCA has launched the ARCA U.S. Treasury Fund, which is an SEC-registered closed-end fund whose digital shares trade via R coins, AR coins, on the Ethereum blockchain. It mainly invests in short-term U.S. Treasury bills and notes. The SEC gave it a notice of effectiveness on July 6th, making it the first time the SEC has given its blessing to a fund represented by cryptographic tokens, with the approval coming after 20 months of effort. Time for fun bits! The first fun bit story, I'm sure you can all predict this, was... TikTok's Dogecoin challenge causes price to 2x. Seven days ago, Dogecoin was languishing in about one-fifth of a penny. As of press time, the price has more than doubled, with that rise beginning Tuesday when a bunch of TikTok users began publishing videos urging people to buy Dogecoin and try to push the cryptocurrency to a dollar. The cryptocurrency is best known for being a meme cryptocurrency with its own mascot, a Shiba Inu who says things like, much wow, in Comic Sans font. Bloom Bloomberg reports that some users are prodding others to, quote, all get rich and tell everyone you know. Another user zooms in on an image of Dogecoin while in the background plays the song, Fly Me to the Moon. The block reports that the campaign resulted in Doge trading volume skyrocketing to 22 times the average daily trading volume in 2020 to $27 million and says that Dogecoin hit the top popularity score on Google Trends, which is 100. And last fun bits. DeFi Rhystones. 
This tweet by Niraj Agrawal of Coin Center was too funny to not mention for those of you um, blockchain geeks out there. Some background to help maybe the newbies get the joke or those of you who don't know what rhinestones are. So blockchain-based systems are often said to be similar to a form of money from the Micronesian island of Yap, in which families would use, would use large stones called rhinestones as money. But because these stones were too heavy to move... They basically would just use this kind of like communal ledger system to keep track of who owned which or how much of any rye stone. And this even applied if a rye stone had fallen into the ocean when they'd attempted to transport it by boat from somewhere else because the, the stones themselves don't come from the island. So now with that background, Narasha's tweet. If someone wraps Bitcoin on Ethereum, then loses their Bitcoin private key underwater... Does that mean it can keep trading like a rice stone? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. For some reason, I just thought this was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Um, okay. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Jeff and Coinbase, be sure to check out the links in your show notes. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the show on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.